0: If you haven't already had a chance to get your Bible out, get it open, we're going to continue our study in Mark 14 this morning. Last week we studied the treachery of Judas and his betrayal and the kindness and mercy of Jesus to offer him grace, to give him an opportunity to repent, even there in that late hour. But now Judas had left. Mark doesn't tell us when Judas left. John tells us that Judas had left the room, had left the building. And Jesus then focused his attention on the 11 who were remaining. Luke tells us that he had greatly desired to eat this Passover with them. It was something that was emotional for him. He he was burdened. He was eager. Because this would be the last Passover that Jesus would observe on earth. Hopefully you found your place. This is a shorter passage, just a few verses, and I'm going to read them for us. Would you stand please as I read? This is Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 22 to 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we are grateful to be able to gather in this place today as your people. Lord, you have called us by your name. Lord, for each one who has believed on you for salvation, who is here in this room, who is joining us online, Lord, that is because of your grace that you have allowed us to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus. You have allowed us to respond to it in faith and repentance. And Lord, as we continue our study of Mark and particularly this end of the book this study of Passion Week leading up to your sacrifice, to your crucifixion, to your death, to your resurrection. Lord, give us understanding. This is familiar territory for many of the folks here. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would make this fresh to us today. Show us something that we've forgotten. Show us something we've never seen before of you. Show us ourselves. Lord, convict us of any unconfessed sin that we could still have in our lives, that that we would be able to confess and forsake that. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning and that he would anoint me to teach your word with accuracy, with boldness, with clarity. That your word would accomplish what you desire for it to accomplish in our lives, in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. our church, we talk a lot about learn, grow, share. It is possible that you will not learn anything new in this sermon this morning. Some of you might, but it's possible that you won't because I know that because this section that we commonly call the Lord's Supper, it appears in Matthew. It appears here in Mark, obviously. It appears in Luke. It appears in 1 Corinthians. And here in our congregation, we have done this together once a month, all year long. And in other years, we've done it every other month or at various times, but we do it frequently and we cover this material frequently. But I I pray, as I've studied this this week, as I've prepared for this morning, my prayer would be that this isn't something we're so familiar with that we have contempt for or that we're bored by. Because this was important enough that Jesus spent time on the last night of his physical life on earth. He spent time, gave time to this with his disciples. He set it up, as we saw last week, he made the arrangements so that the 12 of them, 13 before Judas left, could be in the room together and could have observed this Passover. It was important to him, and I believe it should be important to us. If I can help focus our thoughts this morning and help us remember perhaps what we've already learned about the symbolism of the Lord's Supper and about the significance of the Lord's Supper, then I think this will be time well spent. Here's the key phrase. I don't have a key word for you this morning. I have a key phrase. And that is looking backward and looking forward. Looking backward and looking forward. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I have a chart for you because I want us just briefly to compare a little bit. Think about the Passover and the Lord's Supper. How does the Passover look back? Because we know what the Passover is. Hopefully everybody in the room is familiar with this idea that on the night that the children of Israel left Egypt, they had been slaves and God had worked miracles in the form of what we call the 10 plagues of Egypt. And that final plague, the children of Israel, by faith, had to choose a lamb on the 10th of the month and on the 14th of the month, They had to slaughter that lamb and they had to take some of the blood and they had to put it on the doorpost. We've talked about this in previous studies recently. That is called the Passover. But in future generations, God wanted them to remember this, to have a feast together as a remembrance. What were they looking back on? They were looking back on their redemption from slavery in Egypt. To remind them, we were slaves in Egypt and it was awful. It was horrible. And he redeemed us. He bought us out of slavery. And we are so thankful for that. I'll say it multiple times, I'm sure, again today, that probably that what we have as our modern holidays that are closest to would be the most similar to their idea of Passover would be Thanksgiving. It was a Thanksgiving celebration for God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And not only that, he had taken them to the promised land and given them their own land that he had promised to Abraham 400 years before. So for the Passover, looking backward its redemption from slavery in Egypt, looking forward, what were they looking for? They were looking for the Messiah to come. They were looking for the Messiah to come. The hope that He would come. What about the Lord's Supper? What are we celebrating? What are we remembering? That He has redeemed us from the slavery of sin. Read Romans 6 on your own sometime. That that we were in bondage. We were enslaved by sin. And he has delivered us. He has bought us out of the slavery of sin. And we celebrate that. How did he do it? By dying on the cross in our place. By shedding his blood. That's what we're observing. That's what we're remembering in the Lord's Supper. That's what we're looking back on. What are we looking forward to? That he's coming back. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that whenever we observe the Lord's Supper, together, we are doing, supposed to continue doing so until he comes, with the expectation that he's coming. And we even have that in this passage in Mark today. So what are the main ideas for today? Number one, the Lord's Supper looks backward at Christ's suffering and death. And number two, it looks forward to Christ's return. Looking back on his suffering and death. And for us, that means redemption from sin. And what are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to his return. Now, where did we leave off last week? We left off that Jesus had made the arrangements for the Passover. They were there in the upper room together. And there had been an exchange with his disciples that this night, one of you will betray me. And they were all shocked, at least all of them except Judas. Judas. You don't mean me, do you, Lord? And he didn't really answer the question. He just clarified, it's one of you who dips with me in the dish, someone who's seated very close to me, someone in the room, one of the 12, someone who's very close to me within the three or four people, probably one person on either side of him. And then we know from the book of John that Judas has left. So Jesus was going through the tradition I don't know if this is a bad word to use, but the ritual of the Passover feast. And I don't know about you, I've, I've studied it a little bit. I haven't gone into great detail in the Passover. But I want to share with you a few things that are part of the tradition. And as I looked at different resources this week, my commentary that I've been reading on Mark from Kent Hughes was especially helpful. So I am going to offer you some quotes, just letting you know up front, they are from someone else, this is not my words, but telling us what did this look like when Jesus Interrupted the regularly scheduled program of the Passover in order to do something new. It would have been surprising to them. The meal was going along. I don't know what you usually do in your home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but everything's just kind of going along as everybody's used to. And then, whoa, Jesus went off script. And it would have gotten their attention and it would have been shocking to them. Verse 22 And as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. So these are thoughts describing that point in time when it says, as they were eating, what was going on. This is the words of Kent Hughes. When the meal had been completely laid out before them with the roast lamb as the centerpiece, the host, in this case Jesus, interpreted each of the foods on the table as it related to their deliverance from Egypt. The bitter herbs recalled their bitter slavery. The stewed fruit, by its color and consistency, recalled the misery of making bricks for Pharaoh. The roasted lamb brought to their remembrance the lamb's blood applied to the doorposts. Their eating of the lamb within the house. And the death angels passing over them as it destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. That's the way it normally went. That Jesus is acting as the host. It would have been the eldest male in the home. And he's acting in that place. And as the host, he's explaining, what do these mean? And this was all stuff that they could have said by rote. They, they knew it backward and forward. Nothing new yet. But with that explanation complete, Kent Hughes writes, Jesus as family head sat erect. Because remember, they're all leaning. They're reclining at table. That's how they were required to eat this Passover. But the host at that point sits up or kneels. And he took a piece of unleavened bread and pronounced this blessing. Praised be thou, O Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth, to which the apostles would have responded, Amen. Jesus then broke the bread, which was then distributed in silence from hand to hand around the table. So they're passing it around, each taking a piece. During this silence... Jesus shattered the Passover custom with the radical words recorded in verse 22, take, this is my body. So normally, the host would have broken that, quoted the typical blessing, and they're passing it around in silence. And he interrupts the silence because he has something to say. Because he's about to change what they've been doing for centuries. He is expanding on and giving new meaning to. It says Jesus took bread. Another source said that when the host lifted up that bread at Passover, he would say, This is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. That was part of the ceremony. They would invite people from foreign lands to take part. Anyone who is hungry. Doesn't that sound like the end of Revelation? He who is thirsty, he who is hungry. We read similar verses in Isaiah. There is an invitation. There is an invitation to you here this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he is inviting you. He is saying, come, partake. Come, accept my free gift of salvation. I should clarify, that doesn't mean that if you drink this juice and eat this wafer that you're saved that's not the invitation the invitation is to believe to repent of your sin and to believe on jesus christ alone as the savior now where mark says blessed or he blessed the bread luke as well as paul use a different verb that means give thanks I'll talk more about that later. But we have later in this passage, give thanks. So that's the idea, he's giving thanks. I I told you the the blessing, the thanksgiving that he would have offered, and he broke that bread and gave it to them. And I know that we are looking for symbology here. We're we're looking for symbols in this. And we may be tempted to say, well he broke the bread just like Jesus' body was broken. Be careful there. What we read in John is that the soldiers came to break Jesus' legs. That was part of the crucifixion process because as soon as he couldn't push up with his legs, that hastened death. And what did did they find? We're going to get to the crucifixion in a few weeks. They found that he was already dead. And instead, they thrust a spear. A soldier thrust a spear into Jesus' side, but his bones were not broken. Why, John tells us? Because it was prophesied to fulfill what was written Not a bone of him was broken. So when we come to this and it says that he blessed it and broke it, it's because it was a matzah-type cracker. Think of a cracker that we have. It's that type of bread. And so that's how he did it. Instead of breaking off a piece of a nice big yeast roll, it's breaking in pieces. And that was required. But Jesus' body was not broken. At least his bones were not. And he says take and eat. What's he saying? He's saying, receive. Receive what I'm giving you, in this case, the bread. It's an invitation. He's not forcing it on them. He's telling them to take it and to eat it, but it's not forced, and it's not forced on anyone else. It is offered. It is the free gift of salvation that we must accept, we must receive, we must accept by faith. This idea of eating this idea of drinking. If we stop eating, we'll last for a number of days. If we stop drinking, we're going to last even fewer days. So, this is vitally important. If we're going to continue to live, if we're going to experience life as we know it, we must eat and drink. It is essential to us. And that's what he's saying take and eat, receive my gift. Why? Because it is essential for life, spiritually. His sacrifice, his crucifixion, his blood poured out is absolutely necessary for us to have life spiritually, to have life in him, to have eternal life. Now, that parallel account that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 27, he talks about the body and blood of the Lord. So I'd like you to, I'd like to remind you, I know most of you know this, but I'd like to remind you this morning. When we talk about the body and the blood, what are we talking about? In terms of the body of Jesus, I want you to think of the word life. Body means life. And blood means death in this context. That's what he's referring to. Let me see whether I can explain. This is my body. He's talking about this bread, this broken bread represents my body. Again, quoting from Hughes, what did this figure mean of saying, this is my body? In a word, bread referred to the life of Christ. In the incarnation at Bethlehem, incarnation means he came to be a a human. He came to dwell among us. What does Bethlehem mean? Oh yeah, it means house of bread, the city of bread. Christ, the bread of life, took on a human body. He demonstrated his divine life to all the world by living a sinless life in that body. He bore our sins on the cross while in that human body. He triumphed from the grave by bringing that body back to life, and he now lives in that glorified body at the right hand of the Father where he prays for us. And as members of his body, we share in that life. What does his body mean to us? It means life. He lived a sinless life. He came in the flesh. That's his body. That is how we receive life, because he lived a perfect life, something we could not ever do. He did it for us. It also means that we get to participate in each other's lives. What we're doing is called different things, but communion is an appropriate term. It's used in the Bible. This communion, this union we have together with one another. Why? Because as we partake of these elements together, just like any other meal, we are taking in the same thing, and in that time, in that place, you're eating with someone these Elements, these compounds that you're eating, that you're putting inside you are now part of both of you. And we have unity together because of what we're doing here. We're, we're eating and drinking the same thing. We are sharing in one another's lives in this way. He is our source of life. We cannot have spiritual life apart Christ verse 23 says then he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it and he said to them this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many now some of you are familiar with the traditions of the Passover meal there were four cups I believe this is probably the third one and when the meal was complete Remember, they're, they're reclining. The host, Jesus, sat up or knelt again so that he was above them because he's about to say something else that's important. Hughes says that once he rose, he gave these traditional words and then the disciples' response. So Jesus would have said something similar to, speak praises to our God to whom belongs what we have eaten. And the disciples responded, praise be to God for our food we have eaten. Then with his right hand, he took the third cup of red wine and gazing upon the cup gave thanks. So he's holding the cup of wine and he's giving thanks. And he would have said something like this, may the all merciful one make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings salvation of his king. He shows covenant faithfulness to his anointed, to David and his seed forever. He makes peace in his heavenly places. May he secure peace for us and for all Israel. And you say, Amen. And then in silence, he would have passed that cup around, the same as the bread. So it would have gone from person to person, common cup, different from what we generally do today, differently than the way we observe Lord's Supper. But they had the same cup that they would have passed around, each drinking from it. This time, Mark says, when he had given thanks. Same idea, but different word choice from verse 22, when he blessed the bread and broke it. From this Greek word, we get the English word Eucharist. Now, we don't use that word very much, but it means giving of thanks. That's what we're doing when we have communion, when we have Lord's Supper together. We are giving thanks for his sacrifice for us. In many ways, it really is a feast of thanksgiving. He gave it to them. They all drank from it. They passed it around. Each one took a sip. But normally, they would have done this in silence. And again, Jesus interrupts the normal flow because he has something very important to tell them. He's going to tell them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. What does the blood represent? Thank you. Death. So the body represents life, the blood represents death. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Well, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, we talked about this a good bit when we were in the book of Genesis. When God makes a covenant, literally it means to cut a covenant because there were always animals, generally cut in half. There was shedding of blood for any covenant. And remember, where did this idea of passover come from it came from moses had written it down for them in exodus after the exodus they're supposed to observe this and there were specific ways they were supposed to do that moses and the children of israel swore to a covenant with god that's in exodus 24. it was around the time of the giving of the law the ten commandments and in that covenant, we think of it as the old covenant, God puts out the law and he says these are the laws you need to keep. Now, would keeping those laws save anyone? No. Well, theoretically, yes. But no. Why not? Why did I, two people immediately said no. Why? You can't do it. So we get to Romans and we read that what is the law? The law is a teacher. It's a schoolmaster it is given to us to prove I can't do it. There's nobody in this room who can get through the Ten Commandments and say, No, I haven't done any of that. I've never done that. Never done that. There may be some of them, perhaps, that you haven't done. But we can't keep the law. Again, referring to Romans that if you keep this law, then you're justified, you're good. But we can't. So what do we need? We need a rescuer, we need a savior. We need a way out. Because I can't keep the law. So I'm getting ahead of myself slightly, but when we get to this new covenant, guess what? God makes this covenant. And what is our part? To keep the law? No. To believe in him. And to receive eternal life. Because he has done it all. So blood, shedding of blood, was always required for a covenant. And this Greek word for covenant, I learned, refers not to an agreement between two equals, but rather to an arrangement established by one party. In this case, who is that? God. What's interesting, we can't change it. The other party can't change it in this word for covenant. What can we do? We can accept it, or we can reject it. But we can't alter it. So this is new. This is different. This is the new covenant related to his blood. He's inaugurating, is the fancy word for that. He's beginning a new covenant with us. And what's it based on? His death. The blood represents his death. Now, there is a very well-known passage in the Old Testament. If you've never read this, I'd encourage you to Turn with me right now or look it up on your phone. Jeremiah 31. I'm going to have the words on the screen also. Jeremiah 31. This is this idea of a new covenant. Very important passage. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. There it is. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke... Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Stop there. He's saying, this is different from the covenant that I made with them. What's he talking about? When he led them out of the hand of Egypt, does this sound familiar? Is this what we've been talking about? He delivered them, redeemed them from Egypt, brought them out to the mountain, gave them the Ten Commandments. That's the old covenant. Verse 33. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here it is. And there are three things I want you to see. I have them underlined there. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Number two, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Here's number three, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You say, that's a lot of words, Bob, I know. And this isn't the passage for the day, so I'm not gonna get very deep into it. But there are three things I wanna point out related to the sentences i underlined i see three things here verse 33 has transformation of the mind that sounds a lot to me like romans 12 and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed how by the renewing of your mind that's what's going on here i will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts second idea that you will have a relationship with me. In this new covenant, you will have a relationship with God. Isn't that what every religion in the world is after? That somehow I'm gonna make myself acceptable to God, I'm gonna get to God, I'm gonna become God. No, he's established a way with his new covenant that we can have a relationship with him. Here it says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And as if that wasn't good enough, He has taken care of our sins. Forgiveness of sin is the end of verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Does that excite you this morning? All right, it excites three people in this other room. I'm gonna ask over here too. Does that excite you this morning that you have forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and his shed blood? Thank you. He says, my blood is shed. Shed literally means poured out. Hebert says that this Greek word is describing a violent pouring out of his blood in death. So this violent pouring out of his blood in death, the blood is shed for many. Literally, for the benefit of many. Well, who are the many? How do I know if I'm one of the many? The many are those who believe. Receive eternal life by believing on Jesus the Son of God by believing in his sacrifice his blood shed for you very similar to phrases we find in Isaiah 53 12 therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong why because he poured out his soul unto death sounds familiar doesn't it and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The parallel passage in Matthew adds one more phrase. His blood shed for many for the remission of sins, for forgiveness. Now I said earlier that there were four cups. There are a lot of Bible scholars that don't believe that Jesus drank the fourth cup in this meal. Why not? The fourth cup is the cup of consummation. It is for the future. It is for the promised land. And and he is applying it instead to his kingdom that he will drink it when he is with his disciples, his followers in the kingdom. Let's look at it. Verse 25. Assuredly, I say to you, I hope you're noticing that phrase when we see it now. How many times have I pointed this out? Verily, verily, or amen, is the way it can be translated. Truly I say to you, assuredly I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's saying, I'm not not going to drink any more wine until the kingdom. But literally, the the expression tells us, I'm not going to observe the Passover again. I'm not going to observe the Passover again until I observe it in the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, when I am ruling and reigning on earth. And we understand when he comes the second time. So, what he was observing with them would be the last Passover of that type. He was giving us something new to look back and look forward. He says, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine. Until that date, meaning when the kingdom is established, I will drink it new in the kingdom of God. What's that telling us? He's going to be the host of that banquet too. Marriage supper of the Lamb. There's coming a time when we will observe some feast similar to the Passover with him. And he will be our host. I want to say it's Luke. I don't have it in front of me there's coming a time when he himself will serve us. He will be our host. We will be his guest and we will feast with him. Better than any food or drink we can imagine here. How do we get to do that? Because we have a relationship with him because of what he has done in giving his body and giving his blood. Verse 26 finishes the section, and it's where we'll pick up next time. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now hymn, some of us are thinking, okay, they opened the hymn book and sang number 336. No. What was their hymn book? It was the Psalter, the Psalms, the Book of Psalms, the 150 Psalms. And there were specific psalms that they would have been singing at the time of Passover, and those are called the Hallel. Psalms 113 to 118. So some people believe that because of the reference that they sung a hymn, they went out, the last thing they did, probably the last one, Psalm 118. And I won't take time to go there, but if you want the the extra credit assignment for this week, go read Psalm 118. Read it in the context of Jesus and his disciples quoting it, reciting it, or singing it to one another as he is headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. So what are the big ideas for today? This idea of looking backward, looking forward. The Lord's Supper looks backward at Christ's suffering and death. The Lord's Supper looks forward to Christ's return. What are some of the important themes that are in this? And I've I've tried to bring them out, but I'll state them now just in case I haven't done a good job yet. These ideas that we are celebrating when we observe the Lord's Supper together, his incarnation Because this is his body broken for us. He came in the flesh. God dwelt among us. Why? To save us. To save us from sin. His death. His resurrection. His coming kingdom. They're all here. They are all in what we think of as the Lord's Supper. So I'll close with a couple other verses. And a couple of questions. If there's anyone here, in the room, online, you've, you're not yet a child of God. I'd like to share two verses from John 11. John is talk, Jesus is talking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus. The thing you should know about Lazarus is he's dead at this point. That's important, he's, he's been in, in the tomb for four days. Those of us who know the story know that Jesus is about to call him out and bring him back to life. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am, Jesus, a person is life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, how do I get that life? He who believes in me. Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you all have that this morning? He who believes in me shall never die. And then the question Do you believe this? Yes, the right answer is yes. But do you, deep down inside, do you believe this? If not, You can put your faith in him right now. You can tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your laws and I can't do anything to save myself. But but this says, if I believe that you will rescue me and I'm calling on you, you can do that right now in your seat, child or adult. I know that most of you have but I want to give Jesus' invitation to all of you. Do you believe this? You can call on him right now. If you are a child of God, I'd like to share two other verses as we prepare to observe the Lord's table. This is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What are we supposed to do? Examine ourselves. To look in our hearts, to pray and ask God, search me, O God, and try me, and see if there's any wicked thing in me. Why? So that I can know it's there? No. So that I can confess it, so that I can forsake it, so that I can turn from it and experience restored fellowship with you. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.